0: How do we create more sustainable people, businesses, and a more sustainable world? At Earthself, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of Earthself, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action.
1: In episode 92, I spoke to Louise Charles, Communications Manager at Climeworks, to find out more about an innovative way to capture carbon from the air and transform it into fertiliser for plants, renewable energy and stone. Today, I'm speaking to Eric John. After finishing his MSc in Business Studies in Maastricht, the Netherlands, Eric went to work for two of the world's largest iron and energy companies. After six years of office life, both Eric and his wife Zoe decided that this lifestyle didn't suit them anymore and took the decision to up sticks and travel for a while. On the trip, they visited the Permaculture Research Institute in Australia and helped out on several organic farms. Now fascinated by small-scale food production, they then ended up doing a full growing season on an organic farm in the Brecon Beacons. Having become seriously interested in food production, Eric and Zoe went ahead and studied sustainable horticultural at Schumacher College in 2011 and it was here that Eric crossed paths with Adam and they decided to team up and the project of GrowCycle cycle was born. Welcome Eric. It's great to have you on Sustainable Today.
2: Thank you Tavi. It's lovely to be here.
1: So, you crossed paths with Adam and GrowCycle cycle started, but how 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 did the whole the whole company come about?
2: Well, it's quite by happenstance really. Um so you get the gist I'm not by nature a mushroom grower at all I like, possibly came into it in the most roundabout um, way possible. Um, Ended up at Schumacher College, like you said, being interested in food. And Adam um, was growing mushrooms in a pretty traditional way at a what's called old school farm. It's sort of where stuff is put in practice, right? So you've got your classroom teaching and then you go and actually stick stuff in the ground and watch it grow. Well, he was growing mushrooms on that same farm. And then he came across this little known fact that you could grow mushrooms on coffee waste as well. So he just started to pivot and do that more of that. And he was looking for a volunteer. So he sent out an email and I happened to see it. And I thought the idea was just so, um, well, it's a little bit crazy, but also I thought it was a really good idea. So I thought, let's meet up and see. And so we got talking and we got talking about the potential of the idea. And we both could see that this If it works, it could make a lot of sense and then more people should do it. So that's kind of how it started off. And um, we put those ideas into practice. So at the start, we would drive to Plymouth, a city about 20 miles away from where we are. And we would just go around the cafes. We would pick up their bin bags of coffee waste, throw them over the shoulder and then take them back to our sort of unit here. And um, that's how we started growing on coffee waste, really.
1: Wow. So did were you just able to just go and ask companies and say, can you give us your old coffee waste? And they just go, yeah, on you go.
2: Yeah, pretty diverse reaction, really. Some people sort of almost take pity, look at you like you're a bit crazy, of course. Um, others just don't understand at all what you're doing. And still others just get behind it straight away. Um, we've had some embarrassing moments as well. You can imagine like a bin bag splitting in the, <laughs> middle, of, in the middle of Mark's and Spencers, and you sort of stood in a pool of coffee waste is, um, you know, those aren't the high points. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we quickly realised actually that, you know, the way we were doing it, um, we could obviously grow, but we're kind of in a rural location. So we quick re- quickly quickly realised the potential for urban farming with this kind of substrate or this kind of food source Mm. if you will and then the next step for us became setting up an urban farm to prove this concept in in an urban environment basically so we set up the first UK sorry about that um so we set up the UK's first urban mushroom farm in in Exeter.
1: Wow so what inspired you to as you set up the first UK urban mushroom farm what inspired you to become a community interest company?
2: Well like I said at the start um, when Adam and I started talking about this we thought this is you know this is really quite a good thing to be doing and right from the start we wanted not to just do it ourselves we wanted to involve others so we want to make impact by lots of other people growing like we do. Um, So right from the start we've always had courses here on the Dartington estate and those courses um, were really quite popular so at some points, we got people flying in from Norway, um, Eastern Europe, from France. And we thought this is a little bit crazy, right? Because we're trying to do a sustainable thing. We're trying to reduce landfill waste and growing healthy, you know, sustainable food. And now people are flying in. So we thought that needs to be done in a different way. So in 2016, we started to run online courses as well. And those are sort of the joint – that's kind of the joint – benefits of this project i guess we grow healthy sustainable food we reduce landfill waste but we also try to make social impact by training and inspiring other people to do the same thing
1: wow so literally people can just come to your website and say i want to know how to grow my own mushrooms using coffee waste and you'll teach them how to do it
2: yeah we do a few things so we do that um, we also sell these mushroom grow kits for people to just grow at home and um, it's a really easy simple way of um, growing your first mushrooms And um, yes, so the training is another part. Yeah,
1: I like that. So, I mean, there is some of the benefits that you already mentioned there of being able to have an impact by teaching other people or giving them kits, reducing landfills. But what other environmental and social benefits come from what you do?
2: Well, I think it's widely known that just growing food is a pretty um, it's a lovely way of engaging with nature. Right. And it's got um, therapeutical effects.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think there's a huge um, you know there's huge scope for people taking this up and starting a local food growing project or bolting it on to existing projects. So some of our um, online course customers are CSA customers for instance, or it could be schools that want to engage with this way of growing food. It's um, it's it's a little bit strange that a lot of people who grow food never really seem to think about mushrooms as a crop. Mm. And I think that's, uh, that's a bit of a missed opportunity, really. Um, it probably stems from the fact that people think it's tricky to grow or high-tech, um, and there's some truth in that. If you want to do it at a huge scale, like thousands and thousands of kilograms of mushrooms each week, you'll probably end up with a really expensive farm setup. But what we try to instill in people is a way of growing mushrooms in a low-tech way. And using coffee waste is just one way of doing that.
1: Yeah. So, what are the challenges that you faced in expanding the business? Then, because I mean, like you say, I'm—I don't know how many mushrooms a week you produce, but you're obviously doing it on a scale. So, what are some of the challenges in expanding it and producing more mushrooms, and just expanding all the other aspects of the business as well?
2: Um, Well, I guess what we what we've had from the start is is a focus, a strong focus on inspiring others to do. The same thing, which, you know, that in itself opens up income streams through training um, and takes away the need to grow at huge scale. Um, So that's a bit of a different situation there. And then we also sell a lot of um, mushroom grow kits to just sort of make enough income to justify spending all of our time on this, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, The level of grow room that we've got in Exeter is sort of 50 to 60 kilograms of mushrooms each week. That's what we can produce in a small space. It's kind of a, it's a pretty unique space actually there. It's in the new part of um, Exeter, a new shopping center called Princess Hay. And um, yeah, we're just in a converted office block, basically. It was unused and we've just set up a mushroom farm on the third floor, bang in the heart of the city there. That's cool. So it's, <laughs> it, is, it is pretty cool. We couldn't quite believe when the landlord gave us the keys for it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm just sitting thinking, you know, I mean it's like every every urban area has an empty office block and to be able to take oh, it really? over and to be growing mm. yeah literally for sure. mushrooms yeah. for the for the town or for the city. I mean I
2: know it's it's hyper local, right? Because we just we collect all this coffee waste by bike. Um, and over the past few years we've collected 40 tons of coffee waste by bike so obviously no co2 output whatsoever you know no emissions and that sort of stuff and um, the coffee waste you know coffee it's it's on an incredible journey to start with isn't it? Mm-hmm. it goes from the bean belt all the way you know to be milled and processed and all that sort of stuff and then it's a huge supply chain and then it's a shame to just put it into landfill of course Um, so yeah just picking it up locally we we collect from four to six cafes depending on the time of year and and that's enough for our needs so there's plenty of scope for others to do the same thing really
1: yeah and i mean the mind just boggles 40 tons of coffee waste by bike i mean yes that's impressive alone
2: yes it is isn't it yes (laughs) That's a, lot of, um, that's a lot of work.
1: It, it, it is. I mean, I, t- I take it you, like you and Alan and everybody else involved are incredibly healthy if you're biking and shifting tons of coffee grounds at the same time.
2: <laughs> well, yes, nowadays, actually, it's turning into more of an office um, um, based role for us <laughs> with um, a lot of the marketing done by uh, email and, and um, the online courses, recording it and sort of making sure that all runs well. But I'm pleased to say that we also grow, um, yeah, we also get time to grow mushrooms still. So that's good.
1: That's cool. I, 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 I just want to go and grow mushrooms now. I've never grown mushrooms and I'm so enthusiastic and inspired by this. So then. Well,
2: the reaction normally is pretty good. And it's an, it's, it is an incredible crop, actually, because the oyster mushrooms, for instance, you know, with our grow kit, you, you, you get the kit, you open it up, and within two weeks, you've got your crop. It's that quick. Wow! So it just basically starts after six or seven days, you'll see tiny mushrooms and then it just doubles in size every day. So it's a very visual process, much more so than other crops.
1: That That is cool. Like my nieces was absolutely love that. And I think, you know, that's something that, you you've, you've probably emphasized there which is way cool is the fact that if you have kids to be able to go right six or seven days now they're here right now they're bigger and they're bigger and they're bigger and they're bigger and, they're bigger, and two weeks is a long time <laughs> for kids so it's now we can eat them instead of having to wait all summer
2: yeah exactly that yeah you lose um you, it's, it's hard to lose interest with um, a growth cycle that's so quick yeah
1: we'll be
0: right back after this short nature break
1: focusing on creating growth cycle impacted the way that you then live your daily life eric um
2: there's there's a few clear ways in which it has impact um one is obviously that running your own business is is lots more work than i ever anticipated i think coming from a um a large large business background basically um where, you know, all the budgets, it's all sort of sorted. Um, you don't need to replace ink cartridges because somebody else does that for you. And doing everything yourself is quite a challenge. Um, so there's that element. It's not for the faint-hearted, I wouldn't have thought, but it's also very rewarding. And one way in which, one thing that Adam and I really appreciate is the um, the flexibility that it can bring you. So we both have young families, um, I've got a daughter of four and one of three months old. And having that flexibility is just really great. And that's something that, you know, comes from running this project as well.
1: Yeah. So then what advice would you have for people who are considering doing something similar like you guys? I mean, what, what words of wisdom would you give to them?
2: Well, I've been pretty amazed with the um, the response to the work we do. Um, I've, You know, we get a lot of support from people who like what we do because they see their sense in it. But also there's other people, right, that just help you out in unexpected ways. So a little while back, we had to crowdfund to to build a better farm, basically, in a different spot, also in Exeter. And there's lots of people who just don't know and just get behind it. And that in itself is just really encouraging. Um, In terms of words of wisdom, I would probably look, if I were to start this again, for that support a bit sooner in in the journey. Um, at the start, it was quite, quite hard to sort of have a focused idea of this is where we want to go, this is what we want to be doing with it. And then slowly, you build up this sort of network of people, and especially the landlord in Exeter, for instance, who's part of a, a large um, a property company. They just really, they were behind us because they like social enterprise um, and they just were willing to support us in that. So they just allow us to use this floor right in the city of, of Exeter, which is incredible support.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I love that because, I mean, you're echoing something that other people have kind of said is get that network created and find the people who believe in support and what you're doing as soon as possible so that it doesn't feel as if you've got to struggle and do it alone.
2: Yes, exactly that. And, um, and just by way of update, actually, so we're now um, looking to have Exeter Uni students run this as their project. So like I said, we want other people to do this too. We saw an opportunity to kind of, you know, guys, if you want to have a project that's bolted onto your, they've already got a CSA veg scheme. Um, and, and they were keen to pick up this challenge. So that means that others will be doing it there, and we can have more impact where we are on the Dartington Estates. So that looks really, really cool.
1: Yeah, it is. So you mentioned CSA Garden, and you mentioned it before. What mm-hmm. is that?
2: I'm glad you asked, actually, because I realised when I said it again, um, okay. that I haven't actually, um, well, I've just worked on the presumption that people know, and not everybody does know. Um, a CSA is a community-supported agriculture scheme. And it's basically a mechanism where you share the risks and reward of farming with the farmers. So at the start of the growing season, that's when you buy a share in the CSA scheme. If there's more harvest, then you get more for your money. If there's a bit less, then you get less for your money. And that's how you share the risk and reward.
1: That's kind of pretty cool. So it really is bringing everybody together to say, no, we're we're actually all in this food growing together. It's all in our best interests for us to have a good harvest.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's almost a step on from just knowing your farmer and knowing how your food is produced by being more hands on, because lots of these CSAs um, allow people, their members to join in with harvests and they have activities and those sorts of things. So that's another, it's a great, great example where, you know, people just have a lot of impact Um, Mm. one of the things that i gathered from you know traveling around the world and just meeting small scale farmers is they've got such a different relationship with the food and their sort of crops and their livelihoods and this is you know together i think people are just a bit misguided often in the belief that Big agriculture is big, but the majority of the staple foods in the world are still grown by small farmers. There's a half a billion small scale farmers and they're making a a massive impact.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's really, really powerful because what you said there, because I suppose we do get overshadowed by the notion that it's it's big agriculture and factory farming and everything, but... What you're highlighting is, well, if you we start looking at the alternative ways, there is half a billion people who are doing it on a smaller scale. And if you go and look, then you can find the community supported agriculture projects that allow you to get involved and, and reconnect with how food is produced and change your own relationship with it.
2: Yes, that's exactly right, Tabby. And the other thing is that, you know, we want people to grow mushrooms on a small scale and have you know, impact in that way. If you were to look at growing mushrooms on a directly commercial scale and you want to grow, you know, two tons each week, then yes, you will need to invest something like 10 15 million pounds. But if you want to do it on a small scale, you know, you don't need all that money, and there's different solutions. So different ways of growing, like I mentioned, you can grow on coffee waste, which reduces the need to sterilize the substrate. So you can just introduce it to the mushroom spawn and then it takes hold. And there's other techniques that we sort of pioneer and share with other people. And that just limits the, the investment you need to make. And it sort of increases the, um, the ease with which you can grow.
1: Yeah, and I I like what you said there about ease because I have had conversations with um, people about this Um, and I remember the first time that I ever grew a tomato plant and I was so proud of my crop that year which was an entire one tomato but it was the best tomato yeah, yeah. that I'd ever tasted. <laughs> yeah, of and, <laughs> but this is, this is not an uncommon story. I have heard this through a lot of other people who've had the, the similar harvest results as me. And what I'm kind of hearing you say with the mushrooms is that this is a really easy and exciting way, never mind the fact that it only takes two weeks, but you could get a decent crop quite quickly um, that could potentially encourage you to want to actually do more
2: yes yes i think there's definitely a, a level of um it can be quite addictive seeing them grow of course and just you know just doing any any food growing is just a worthwhile activity of course but within that i particularly take to growing mushrooms of course because of you know it's a quick crop it's slightly unusual but it's also just um it's high in nutrition it's healthy there's there's so many benefits to it um just to pick you up on something though the the two weeks, that's just a fruiting cycle, okay, right? Okay, so yeah. There's three stages, effectively, in the mushroom growing. One is where you, you mix things up. So you, you you make your substrate, which is the food source for the mushrooms. That's when you combine a few things. So we like growing on coffee. We put a bit of straw in, for instance. You can put card in. Um, you can grow on all sorts of things with uh, with mushrooms. We've grown them on jeans as well, actually, I just remembered. Wow. Um, so that's a way of um, using, you know, old cotton waste, for instance. Anyways, um, the next stage then is the incubation stage, which is where you need to – you don't need to do much. The mushrooms do all the hard work. You know, they just – they they – They spread across, which is called the um, mycelium run. They spread across this newfound food source, and that's where they build up strength. And then the third stage is the fruiting stage, and that's when they fruit and want to drop their spores to procreate, basically. That last stage, that's, that's two weeks with oyster mushrooms. The other stage, the second one is about three weeks or so.
1: Okay, so we're so still a,
2: still a quick crop.
1: But still within six weeks, you could you yes. could be having a, a decent crop to eat. Uh, exactly yeah. which is is, is, is kind of cool and i'm I'm just sitting thinking, you know, I mean there there is this whole process of I'll just take the genes that I don't want. Anything else? that don't. Here we go. Make the food. Great. Yep. Let's get the mushrooms on it. And when the, 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 the mycelium, and for people that don't know, that's the, how would you explain that? The underground interconnected roots of mushrooms?
2: Yes, they're called, um, they're called hyphae It's really a network. Um, of It's a system in which it sort of grabs food and reallocates it and it joins together. It's an amazingly complicated science, but the the short of it is it, it works like a network. It's almost like a map of, if you were to imagine a map of the Internet, you know, with all these nodes and stuff connecting. That's exactly what a mycelium network looks like.
1: Cool. So do you, do you get to see this mycelium network or is it all happening in the the food source?
2: Um, no, you get to see it, especially when you use coffee, because you can imagine it's nearly black. And it's really quite amazing. So after the inoculation stage, you put it in, in a warm room. And if you go in, you can see the mycelium recovery and then slowly starting to spread. And that's just absolutely incredible. I, I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but it is that sort of network that starts at a small point and then just spreads out and just, just starts to colonize everything.
1: Cool. That's cool. The reason that I'm asking that slightly off tangent is because when we were designing Self as a business, we wanted to be inspired by part of nature and we ended up being inspired by mycelium. And we're like, how does mycelium work? And how can we take what mycelium does and put it into the company? So literally, I am now need to go and literally make mushrooms so that I can actually watch the mycelium <laughs> in action and, and get more inspiration for my own business.
2: Oh it's a great idea. I wish more people get in uh, get involved um, in think growing mushrooms for sure. They're just an incredible thing really. I mean they they, est- they estimate that mushrooms that different types of fungi outnumber plants by 6 to 1 and that's pretty incredible isn't it?
1: That that is pretty incredible. And I mean I know that mushrooms have been around longer than plants as well so um
2: yeah we're pretty um compared to human beings even um, fungi go back 1.1 billion years i think so they um, they're sort of at the root of it all
1: i like that they're at the root of it all <laughs> i like the joke so who mm. do you most admire eric and why mm. yes
2: yeah, so i i thought about that question for a little bit and i think there's lots of people i admire especially within this sort of field of sustainability and um, food growing um making change, you know, so there's um, Rob Hopkins from Transition Town, for instance, um, another person in this area here particularly in Devon is with regards to agroforestry, Martin Crawford, it's just incredible the work that they're doing. Um, But then I sort of pulled it back a little bit and thought back to how we want to make impact, so by getting other people on board. And I think those are the people I most admire. So they just sort of come across this idea, and think hey these people are onto something i'm going to apply that in my own setting and i think that's that that means that because they do that that real sort of impact is made and it's not just from us going around recycling coffee waste from 4 to 6 cafes but if other people follow and do and apply this in their area that's when real change happens
1: yeah no, that's, that's really awesome. So then what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why?
2: Um, just before we got talking... Um Tabby, I think we were talking a bit about Spain, right? And that must must be one of my favorite memories of a time in nature. And that's, you know, there's lots of stuff I like about nature and like short running, you know, short runs or surfing and all that sort of stuff. But the best parts for me have been on long treks. So I've been lucky enough to do the Salcante trek in the Andes going to Machu Picchu um, which was great and that was five days just being in nature and camping and all that sort of stuff but the best example of that was the Camino de Santiago in the northern bit of Spain so we started on the French side of the Pyrenees my wife and I and then we walked across to Santiago and the challenges that you come across are just phenomenal you know it's both physical but mentally as well because you've got so much time to walk and think Um, So you've got time to to work through stuff and, you know, that doing that in a nature setting, just walking, 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 day in, day out. That's possibly one of my favorite times. Mm. And I look forward to taking um, stages there with my girls when they're a bit older.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd
2: I'd recommend it to anyone, really.
1: Mm, especially the last part. I used to live in Galicia.
2: For, oh, yes, for a, good, yeah. a good
1: a good good few years. So the the Galician countryside which is the last part towards Santiago is just fantastic.
2: Oh. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of rain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah, we finished it in um we walked it in November. So we were just ahead of the snow sort of hitting the Montes de León. And then we came into Santiago, and it was just tipping it down, and <laughs> it. so at, at that time you sort of feel a bit low about it, but then you work through it and you think this is incredible.
1: Yeah, so then what is it about experiences like your journey along the caminos de Santiago that have influenced and impacted the work that you now do?
2: You know what, I think it's slowly. It's making an impact that, you know, if you look at my background, sort of first in business and finance, and then working for um, ExxonMobil, the big bad oil company, although, you know, they do good work. I was just not really interested in it anymore. And then EDF Energy, um, you know, and then that's so not at all connected to nature, of course. You're sort of in cities, you live and you work off in offices, and you, you know, it's it's a completely different thing to working with something growing something seeing it taking care of it looking after it and um, that makes me much happier
1: Hmm. so then what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today
2: i think i'd like to come back to the fact that a lot of people who are interested in food or growing food don't often think about growing mushrooms And I think that needs to change, really, because there's just so much good that they can bring us, both in terms of medicine, medicinal use and food nutritional value, um, that I think more people should grow mushrooms. So if you have any modicum of interest in growing mushrooms, I think you should connect with us.
1: (laughs) I like that. And I know I'm going to be wanting to try out, just as I said, I can watch the mycelium bit. That's going to be so super for me. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, that brings us back to um, another hero, really. And that's Paul Stamets, of course. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's probably the, um, the, the world's best known mycologist. And he's got an awesome TED talk. That would be a good starting point for anyone. It's um, six ways in which mushrooms can save the world.
1: Yeah. So I'd recommend
2: checking that out.
1: I like that and an extra resource. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eric.
2: You're very welcome. I had a lovely time.
1: Next week. I'm speaking to Stephen Dunn, CEO of Ecos EV, about the challenges of creating a ground transportation company purely using Tesla electric vehicles.
0: If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how Earthself's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org